Welcome to the Growth Moves Podcast with Rob Tyson. Welcome back, listener. Rob Tyson here. And in the last episode, I talked to Sarah Santa Croce about the gentle marketing revolution. So be sure to catch up on that show if you missed it. But I'm here today with Judy Reese. Now, Judy was named a top 100 influencer in remote working by Onalytica. She was an early adopter of remote facilitation as she trained international groups on high-level communication skills for leaders. She designs and facilitates online events that engage and connect people, building and maintaining professional relationships, even when, like now, people like us can't get together physically. And today, we've got a great topic for you because you're probably doing a lot of this at the moment, but you're probably missing a lot of tricks because we're going to be talking about how to run engaging online events and how you can actually do this even better than in person. But before we welcome Judy and get into all that good stuff, if you're listening to this show, you may well be an independent consultant, trainer, a coach of some kind, struggling for the right recipe to grow your business. Well, if you pop along to robtyson.net forward slash report right now, you can get a free copy of my brand new report, and that will show you my rapid method for creating and selling your first online program that uses your recorded content to do the heavy lifting of client engagements. And you'll also see how our fastest client did this. He was able to do this twice, in fact, in four days. And the funny thing was, he did it without actually trying to sell at all. You will see what I mean in the report. Once again, that's free. You get that from robtyson.net forward slash report, where you'll also get a bonus case study. And that shares a simple sales approach that has generated over a million pounds in online program sales for one business to business trainer. So once again, the place to go for all that stuff is robtyson.net forward slash report. So pop along there now and get yours. And with all that said, Judy, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you. It is great to see you. Judy, I'm going to kick things off with my question. Truth or falsehood? The blue whale is the loudest animal in the world. Mm, it depends how you measure loudness. Okay. I reckon it's, it's, its sound carries the furthest, so I reckon true. Okay, true. The blue whale is the last animal. So I'm not going to give you the answer. We're going to find out later on. We're <laughs> going to keep you and everyone else hanging on. Um, they're going to be hooked. They're going to be hooked by this, I think. So the blue whale listener, what do you think? You're going to find out later. Um, but it's great to see you, Judy. Just define briefly for us what you do, if you don't mind. Well, I do a few different things. Like a lot of your listeners, I've done a few different things over the years. Nowadays, the the main focus of what I do is designing highly engaging online events. Um, but also I teach people to, to do that. I teach people to run online events and working with my team, we get our hands dirty and actually run and facilitate events for organizations. So in the last year, we've been working with some quite big international organizations uh, like uh, the UN High Commission for Refugees, UNICEF, the UNICEF Children's Fund, um, World Health Organization, a few, few different large organizations who need to run highly engaging online events. Of course, they do broadcasty events as well, but sometimes they need to really engage their people. Um, I could go on about some of the other stuff I do, but that's that's the main main piece. 
Well, of course, yeah, and this is brilliant. And you know, w- w- the reason it's so great to have you on is because all of us, whether we like it or not, are doing these online events, uh, you know, much more than, than we were a year ago. And, and we'll get into all of that. Um, but how did you get into this in the first place? What was your what, what were the steps that brought you here? Oh, accidental. As as with so many of your listeners, I, I, I didn't set out to come to this place. So about 10 years ago, I was teaching a very niche um, coaching methodology was how we thought of it in those days. Nowadays, I think of it as high level communication skills. Then I was thinking, oh, who wants to know about clean language coaching skills? And we couldn't quite get enough people together to, to run an in-the-room workshop in London. So we started running our workshops online to teach these skills to people. And that was back in the days when people said you couldn't teach this kind of stuff online. You, it was back in the days when people used to say you couldn't do coaching online. People were having all sorts of kittens about the idea that the, the coaching relationship would not survive if, if you did it remotely. Um, but simply by necessity, I was learning to run highly involved, highly participative um, classes and, co- and and coaching sessions, of course, I was also coaching, but running really engaging workshops and classes online. And that took me into the space. And as I got um, more into running a business, as well as just teaching this thing I was fascinated by and had written a book about, um, I got started wondering, well, how do we um, expand this? And a couple of years ago, I suppose actually it's, it's kind of four years ago now, 20, 2016, I really started to get frustrated with the webinar. People in our world were being told that the way to scale their coach, author, speaker business was to run webinars. And the world was being flooded by shockingly bad webinars. Really, really dismal. Um, Typically with somebody talking over slides, you couldn't even see the person. Um, Very little engagement. And the result of that was not businesses scaling. The result was just the world connecting with over and over again with rubbish webinars with tricks being played to keep people listening till the end because, oh, we'll finish off with a brilliant offer. Of course, we. Oh, it was just too dull. Um, and what I knew from what I'd been doing with training and workshops online was that you didn't have to do it like that anymore. The technology had moved on and we could create amazing workshops online, even with relatively large groups, not so much with groups of a thousand, but with groups of Um, between 20 and 300, the kind of groups that people um, of my kind would attract to any kind of online event, you can do really good, engaging stuff. So why wouldn't we? Yeah. So so I was starting, I'd been running um, online unconferences for the clean language community. The first one was in 2016. That was the first sort of real venture into this engaging online event space. But since then, it's been developing and becoming more and more of what I do. And since the lockdown, that's really been very much the business focus. Yeah, absolutely. And just talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, elaborate on that, because I agree that 
most webinars are bad. Most online meetings are bad. You know, most of these group calls are boring, you know, and people do want to kind of poke their eyes out. Um, uh, <laughs> but, you know, why is that? What's what are people doing wrong? What are the what are the most common things they're doing wrong? The big the biggest, most common thing they do is not think about it at all. OK, they just think, oh, I'll get some people on the on the on a, on a Zoom call or on a webinar and uh, I'll just talk at them for an hour. And then surprisingly enough, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the same thing happens with online meetings of all kinds. People don't think about it. They don't, therefore, bring their creativity to bear on how this could be different. And typically people are don't go to many different kinds of online events, online meetings. Most of our online experience is actually someone broadcasting to us, like we're doing now. But we, or certainly not me, this is not my natural territory. The natural territory for someone like me is talking and engaging with people and listening and interacting and being in a a constant feedback loop with each other. That's what that's what makes this format, the interview format of the podcast, work so much better than one person talking to a microphone because there's constant feedback, particularly if we've both got cameras on. Not that everybody else can see it, but but at least we can see each other and see feedback. And yeah, so most people don't think about it at all. They don't design their online meeting or online event or online workshop with interaction and feedback in mind. Um, Those two pieces, just imagining that it could be different and then applying what you already know to setting up feedback loops, those two things will make a huge amount of difference. The next chunk is um, basically getting your participants prepared to engage. Because, of course, if they turn up to what they think is a webinar and you suddenly say, why isn't your camera on? Then they have to scurry around putting some clothes on. You know, (laughs) people need to know that engagement is what's expected or else they won't they won't be prepared to do it. So there's all those kind of bits that need to be in place. So there is an upfront cost to changing the way we do this stuff. Uh, but I think it's well worthwhile. Yeah, and as we'll get into, it's more, I suppose it's more of a, the cost is more in developing the skill and doing the thinking, right, than than a kind of a technological cost. Exactly. Once you've done the thinking and once you've run these kind of things a few times, the the, the, the upfront cost is minimum. Um, The technology isn't where the problem is. Not yeah. nowadays. It was five years ago. The technology was was absolutely the challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I was just thinking as you said that because you, you hear this a lot now from people. Are oh, you know I'm all I'm all zoomed out, and they're not zoomed out. They're 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 bored of you know boring presenters and boring events, right? I mean this mm. is this is the problem. It's not Zoom that's the problem. Um, we'll we'll get into the nuts and bolts, but just a quick question before we do. Um, was it kind of very quickly obvious to you what the problem was or did you did you kind of stumble across the the answers a combination of the two um so 
one of the things, so, so the bits that were obvious were the bits about feedback loops and making sure so that we were learning from what was going on. Um, anybody who's, you know, learned any coaching stuff, NLP stuff, any of those kind of tool sets understands that you need to be, you need feedback to know whether you're doing it right or wrong. If the thing is set up so there is no feedback, nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to get better. You're just going to carry on as you always, and, and as they say, when you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. And you're not going to improve. Feedback is the breakfast of champions, all that stuff. So looking at it and going, actually, we can see there need to be feedback loops. That was fairly obvious. And also just bringing good quality in the room facilitation skills and good quality in the room training skills to bear on this problem um, revealed obvious, uh, obvious problems. You know, in the room, you don't expect someone to listen to a speech for 45 minutes without interacting except if you've got a really, really super keynote speaker. You know, of course, there are brilliant keynote speakers who can hold an audience for 45 minutes, but that's not me. Um, when you're training as, a, as an ordinary everyday trainer, you do small chunks of input, then you get the group to do something, have an experience, so they learn the thing, you know, in their muscles, in their bones. And then you go back and you talk about what did you just learn? And everybody feels more engaged as a result. Now you put that online and it just works. But you couldn't do that, let's say, eight years ago, because there were no video conferencing tools that enabled quick breakout rooms. Um, I've been doing this a long time, so I remember improvising breakout rooms by having multiple Google Hangouts going on at the same time. Oh, every, some of you go to that one, some of you go to that one, and all come back at five minutes past the hour. That was really hard work. But then Zoom came out with breakout rooms as part of its mixture, and everything changed. That was, I suppose, four or five years ago. Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to getting into that specific tactic with you about the breakout rooms, because it's not something I've ever done, actually, online. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to picking your brains on that. But it's interesting what you say. So it was almost that the... The die was cast initially. We had this template from when the technology was not so good. And really, we're only now with people like yourself going, well, actually, you know, you don't need to be limited in this very mm. kind of one way format anymore. Uh, even though, as you say, we've had this ability to do it for a number of years, but it takes it takes people some time to catch up. And I mean, even before, you know, the online thing, there were plenty of uh, bad trainers and bad seminars right i mean you know it wasn't yes. like everyone was brilliant <laughs> yeah. no there were an awful lot of people in the room who who thought that the the major problem was to find a venue to book yeah do you remember when people used to go it used to come up on the forums all the time does anyone know of a central london venue that will only cost me 20 quid mm -hmm. um but will have lots of natural light and uh provide the ability to provide my own coffee that question was constantly asked as if that was the only problem to run a live workshop. 
it's not. Running a really high quality live workshop involves all sorts of stuff. And the same is true online. But you can take you the big pieces can be identified. You can start to learn them. And if you set things up so you get feedback, then you get better and better and better at it. Yes, indeed. And and one of the things, and we'll maybe get into this, but you reckon that not only can we make our web events as good as we can, we can actually even make them better than what we would be able to achieve in um you know like you know, a traditional kind of live training room setting, person to person. Absolutely, much better. I think. Okay. That that I mean, a, a few of the headline things that are better. Of course, you can find the absolute people who are really, really interested in this thing, wherever they are. They don't have to be within ten miles of your proposed venue. They could be anywhere in the world that fits the time zone of your event. So you get you can get exactly the people. So just as I was doing with the people who are interested in learning clean language, they could come from anywhere. Um, we can also, oh, there's a whole piece about inclusivity and the diversity of groups that you can get when you're working online. So I did, uh, in the last few years, I did some work with the RSA, the Royal Society for the Arts, Manufacturers and Commerce. I was on their fellowship council and we were experimenting with they were doing a lot of central London meetups, but they couldn't quite get any um, outer London meetups to fly. Uh, sort of, they they kept trying to do things in Hammersmith and in Holloway and things like that, and they they could never get quite enough people to a group. So I said, let's tr- let's try some online events, and we did a few, and we were getting people who would never have dreamt of coming to a, an evening event in the upstairs room of a pub were coming to these things because they were interested in the topic, but older people, people who were hard of hearing, apparently Zoom is much easier if you're hard of hearing Mm. than coming to an in-the-room event. Um, People who had all sorts of medical difficulties, which meant they couldn't travel. Um, Women who had uh, childcare responsibilities, who, for example, had young teenage kids who could look after themselves in the house, but somebody else had to be in the house. Um, they were turning up to these events. So we got a much wider range of people. So you've got your geographic inclusivity, you've got your sort of just general diversity of attendees. Um, You've also got the ability um, for, for different kinds of interaction. So you've not only got the voice stream and your video cameras on, you can also use text-based technical tools, things you know like the chat to get lots of written material. But there are also all sorts of visual tools. Um, and there are things like decision support tools, which enable things like anonymous voting. You can't do anonymous voting in the room. No. Unless you get, get everybody to get their phones out and do a Slido poll or something. But when you're all online together, you can do, use those technical tools just as part of what you're doing. And it feels supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, I never really thought of it in that way. That, as you say, there's this whole other market of people who, for one reason or another, can't or don't want to make a, an in-person event anyway. And, mm. uh, and as you say, this is a, this is a, a, you know, we have the ability to catch those people now and, you know, get them, uh, get them to join us. Um, so 
let's talk a bit about the nuts, the nuts and bolts uh, then. What would you say is the optimal size and you know number of attendees and length of an online event? And I appreciate this is a bit of a how long is a piece of string question, <laughs> but I'm going to ask it anyway. It depends what you're trying to achieve. And I'm absolutely of the view that the first thing to think about is what are you trying to achieve? The and And what's in it for your participants? So of all the various kinds. And the number of people will determine, you know, will be determined by what you're trying to achieve. I was talking to a group of uh, communications people in a large, large organization recently, and they said, what you say, Jude, is all very well, but the metric on which we are measured, on which our pay is going to be measured, is how many people turn up to our webinars. In which case, I'm not the right person. Um, because I'm not about maximizing the number of people who turn up. The question is, what's the right number of people for the level of engagement that you actually want? Now, typically, if you want everybody on a call to interact with everybody else, you want the group to be really quite small. Um, so, for example, if I'm doing a, a half-day workshop where I'm training some people in some stuff, my optimum size is probably between 10 and 12 people because I want to be able to talk to everybody. I want to be able to hear from everybody. I want everybody's examples for everything. On the other hand, if I want it to feel like more of an event rather than a training, I might be looking for between 50 and 150 people. 150, you'll know, is Dunbar's number. And that seems like a reasonable number to, to, to play with. Dunbar's number being the number of people who apparently uh, are normally in a tribe, in a sort of ancestral community. Once mm. a tribe gets above 150 people, it would split. You can sort of know 150 people reasonably well. So Dunbar's number seems like a good top marker if you want a sense of community. If your sense of community isn't what you need, then you can start to go bigger. And then you, but then you need to do different things to bring the thing together. Um, so we're thinking at the moment, we're working with a couple of organizations where we're doing fairly large multi-day events for membership organizations. And in those cases, Yes, some of the people know some of the people, but an awful lot of people don't know each other at all. They just know they're members of the same organization. So we're going to somehow put some kind of glue around these events so that several hundred people will find ways to feel part of the same thing and ultimately to take action together or you know, not necessarily all together. Hundreds of people will suddenly rise up and uh, do something together. I don't mean that. I mean that different subgroups will decide to do something together. So that was a lot. That was a long way of saying it depends, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's good though. It's help, it's uh, it's helpful just to give people just to give people a steer. Um, and um, I was also going to ask you. This might be quite difficult for some people to 
process, but you say minimise slides as far as possible. Oh, yes. Um, just the, the worst kinds of webinars, the ones that I was really railing against uh, from a few years ago, the worst ones that I've encountered are ones where you only see the slides and the disembodied voice droning on behind them. You, you've been in that. You, you, you've seen those. Oh, horrid. Um, the thing is that human beings are evolutionarily predisposed to seek out faces. They love seeing faces. So if you can get faces on the screen, people are much more likely to keep on looking at the screen. So what I do when I'm you know, my, my council of perfection in an event, if you're going to have a speaker, make sure that they are going to be speaking for less than 10 minutes, make sure they're really clear about their message. But if they've got to use slides, get them to show the slides behind them. Um, there's, a, there's a blog post on, on the reesmccann.com website if you're interested in how to do that. But rather than go screen share and that wipes out all the other faces, show the slides behind you and make sure you can see all the other faces in gallery view, or at least a proportion of the other faces in gallery view. And then you as the presenter are getting continuous feedback from the group. Um, and of course, it, in Zoom, it's very easy to, for the participants to move between gallery view and speaker view. So if they want to see, you know, the presenter big and everyone else small, they just click speaker view. But if they want to see everybody and they want to see other people's reactions to what, what's being said, they stay on gallery view. And lots of people do want to see other people's reactions to what's being said. There's a thing called social learning. We learn with others, typically. The, the experience that a lot of people have had, particularly over the last year, of learning on their own is historically pretty much unique. Tip, the, the research suggests that most people pick up their learning, not only by watching a program or, or reading a book, but then talking to someone about it. So when we go to a conference, we talk to someone in the coffee queue. Oh, what have, what have you found interesting so far today? It's part of triangulating what we've understood with what other people understand. And that, make, that helps new stuff settle inside us because human beings are social animals. We're not a bunch of individual dots. We're designed to live in groups. Um, so any anything that helps people to be learning in groups, even though we're trapped in our own little lockdowns, is going to make things more interesting, more engaging for people. Yeah, I, I like that because I was going to say to you, well, you know, with showing the faces, is there was there an argument to say, well, you know, won't that just distract people from the content? You know, because they'll be they'll be looking at someone and they won't really be listening, but you but what you said I think is absolutely right because I was just thinking about it I was thinking yeah you're right because when we hear some information at a real world event say very often it is that conversation we have with the next person uh, to us and maybe they they talk about 
the content that's just been shared, but they phrase it in a slightly different way. And it's actually that that gives us the insight or, or, you know, maybe another person looks confused at something. And so we kind of maybe it just helps us evaluate all the different information we're hearing. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it also helps us to evaluate a question we might be thinking of asking. So one of the reasons that people so often get tumbleweed when they call for questions in online events is that the, the, the participants, the audience, haven't had the opportunity to, to check with other people whether they were also confused about the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to look daft. And they don't want yeah. to look daft. In the room, I, I know, I'm sure you've seen people write a note to the person next to them with a big question mark <laughs> and just go, did you get that? <laughs> and and once they realize it wasn't just them, they stick their hand up and they ask the question. Yeah. But you don't get that in, in the, the kind of the old style webinar. And, and as a result, people switch off and mm. just disengage. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, if you don't mind, just at a very high level, give us give us kind of an overview of a basic format that you find works well for for a web event. So maybe let's say you know we're keeping it quite simple. We've maybe got a ninety minute event. We've, we're looking for maybe fifty people or something like that. Might how how might we approach that kind of event? Very well, high level stuff. Very high level. We we yeah. have a sort of formula that we call the web events that connect model. Mm-hmm. Um, the one of the things to to pay attention to is the fact that web events don't happen in a vacuum. There's always a before and there's always an after. And online, that before and after is particularly important because we don't get any of the milling about in the foyer that we would get mm, with yeah. in the room events. So pay attention to that. What and and you know, there are various things you can do to improve the quality of your before and after. That's an important piece. One of, uh, another thing that happens just as people arrive in events is if you can find ways to let them know that they are not intended to be passive audience, but they are going to be active participants, that will smooth the transition into the room. So as I mentioned before, in water, you know, invitations, whatever, let them know that participation is expected, that turning on the camera is expected, they do need to wear a shirt, um, have a headset so that they can be heard, all that kind of stuff. Um, I use, at the very beginning of my events, I use a process that got nicknamed the magic waiting room, um, where as people arrive, instead of saying, oh, putting up a slide saying we'll be starting in five minutes or leaving the waiting room in Zoom, I open the doors and as people arrive, I say, hello, lovely to see you. Nice. Are you on my list? Um, make sure I can hear them. Make sure that they can hear me. And then I send them off into a breakout room with the, the next two people to arrive. And say, so, you know, have you met? Just chat and chat while everybody arrives. Same as people do in the room. You know, obviously not everybody loves small talk over coffee, but it, it helps to make it more comfortable for everybody. So that kind of initial thing works well. And then probably some kind of warm-up activity, again, that lets people know their opinions are valued, they are valued, we want their participation. 
If it's a big event, it might be as simple as everybody draw on a post-it note, a smiley face to represent how you're feeling right now and hold it up to the camera, that kind of thing. Or one time we did, uh, on the count of three, everybody shout to say where in the world you are. You'd have thought that you wouldn't be able to hear it, but you could. You could hear all these different cities being mentioned. It was really good fun. So those kind of warm things. And then inside, there's a sort of repeated pattern that I would then do, which is a really short content input, some kind of presentation, provocation. Um, you know, I've got this thing to share and then send people off to do something with that information. And the send people off to do something with that information might be as simple as send people into twos and threes in breakout rooms, ask them to talk about what they just heard and come back with their questions or talk about what you've just heard and think what's wrong with what I just heard, what was missing? And then we might use different tools to gather up that information. Depending on the size of the group, we might ask to hear from two or three people, or we might use the chat, or we might use a Jamboard or a Mentimeter or a Slido, any of those kind of things. But they've been sent off to do something, and then they come back and they share what they've done. So it's content, breakout, and then some kind of debrief. And we repeat that pattern, content, breakout, debrief, content, breakout, debrief. And in a 90 minute, you might get to do that three times, maybe even four, depending how brisk you can be. Another thing that needs to fit into a 90 minute session, you wouldn't need it in an hour, is within an hour, you need some kind of movement break. People are not designed to sit still for hour after hour. That's another cause of Zoom fatigue. Um, so what we tend to do is to about the 45 minute, 50 minute, Mark, we invite people to turn off their cameras for a moment, turn off their microphones for a moment, go and run around the garden and then come back. And that will just keep their energy engaged. It also gives them an opportunity to deal with any emergencies in their immediate environment. Then we go back to the content breakout debriefing. And then finally, some kind of closing activity that lets people know that they've got something from today. So let make them make them write it down for example what's one thing that you're taking away from this because the research shows that for people to believe that your event that your meeting was worthwhile all you need to do is start and finish on time have an agenda and have at least one action point everything else is trimmings <laughs> okay Okay, doesn't sound too, uh, shouldn't be too onerous by the sound of things. <laughs> it isn't onerous, but, it, you know, the first time you, people do this, they think it's terrifying. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it really is so much more fun when you're, it's much more terrifying. I mean, they, they, there was that book, wasn't there, and Death Came Third, about public speaking. It's terrifying to stand up and spout for 45 minutes without feedback because you've got no idea how your words are being received. That's terrifying. But simply grabbing hold of the breakout rooms control in, in Zoom and using it, that's not, not scary at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a challenge to me. As I say, it's not something, I, it's something I've yet to do. So uh, it sounds scary at the moment, but I'm sure I'll give it a go. So um, uh, 
no, that's really good. And um, and while you're going, um, I should say out loud that one of the things I do, of course, is help people to run events like that. So, yeah. you know, it, we could we could do a taster. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, this is good. This is good. You know, so this is why people need help, isn't it? With uh, with some of this stuff. So. Um, and um, what what else I was going to ask you? Um, you talked, yeah, a little bit about having, you know, making sure that people get a break and so on. Um, I think that's important. Um, and the content sections. So when when we're delivering our content, uh, as you say, that we just want that to be quite punchy and short, really. Mm. So we, we it's, so are we thinking it's maybe just one big idea we want to convey to people? Might that be a you know decent way of yeah, looking at it? I think that's a nice way of looking at it. Think think TED Talk. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that TED Talks are 14 minutes because they because it works. You know, of course, not we're not imagining that we're all going to practice, 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 practice until everything we say is is TED Talk style. But take a single idea, share a single idea, let people play with it, form it to their own world, and then come back to you. And I, I believe. I mean, this is not really my territory, but I understand that the marketing bods reckon that it's about number of interactions with people, not just about the length of the interaction, it's the number of the interactions. And I'm curious about whether by breaking your content into smaller chunks, you effectively break your hour or 90 minute online event into multiple small interactions with you. would be interesting to play with that idea i think yes indeed and just talk to me briefly about follow-up so you you described one thing i think you said that's really important is you know don't look at the event as just beginning when you kind of rock up and well you wouldn't just rock up on on the hour and deliver the thing that's a mistake you're missing a trick but what happens when the event closes i mean you would advocate some kind of follow-up presumably again i know it's going to be different depending on what you're doing but um it it's it does it it does depend on what you're doing and a lot of people listening to this will already know that sort of community is a very big buzz and uh, you know having a facebook group or you know forum or whatever to link up your your followers your fans your parties all your participants having some kind of community to invite people to is one of the things that um, helps people to stay connected with ideas as well as each other. Now, if you happen to have that already in place, then using that is is the is the shortcut. If that isn't already in place, it's worth thinking about well, what is the action that you want people to take, and that's likely to go beyond oh, buy my stuff. Um, of course, we want people to buy our stuff. That you know, we we need to eat. But actually, if we've got interesting, powerful ideas, we want people to take those ideas away, talk to each other about them and play with them and do something with them. So one of the things, even in a fairly random 90 minute webinar, I'll often say to people, you know, at the end of the we're coming we're 10, 10 minutes from the end. I know you've met some lovely people on this call. Um, if you want to stay in touch with them, I'm not going to run a listserv for you. If you want to stay in touch with them, put your LinkedIn um, profile URL in the chat and anyone who wants to can contact anybody else. 
those kind that you know that's the simplest kind of follow up that you can do to let the group take charge of it with i mean not only with gdpr but also you know life is too short to be constantly introducing individual random people to other random people and and indeed putting lists together of who came to this webinar and who didn't turn up and you know who registered and oh, too complicated let them com contact each other yeah i like that that's a that's quite a nice neat neat tip isn't it and uh yeah you know um uh, you can just leave you know you don't even have to be there for them to do that you can say you know here it is and you can walk away and switch the camera off go and get a cup of tea and uh, yeah do do something else um so no i really like that um and that that's a fun but potentially dangerous thing to do uh, <laughs> yeah. i ran an event the, just before christmas uh, my big online unconference this was the fifth iteration of it metaforum and uh there were still people partying in the after party five hours after we'd closed. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad they had, obviously had a good time. So yeah, there, yeah. there was all, all the three people who were there at the death. They're all very uh, good talkers, but they're yeah. all very, very funny people. So I bet they could, none of them bring themselves to hang up. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Well, I just and I had hasten to add that I wasn't there at the death. I'd done 13 hours of uh, hosting and facilitation at the closing time. You were, you were ironed out. Absolutely. No, no, excellent stuff. Well, now this has been really, really great, Judy. Um, Just to sort of pull it all together then. So if people just took one piece of advice away from our conversation what would that be would you say just kind of one one big thought that will get them off on the right path with this to think think about it yeah stop and think what do you actually want from your online meeting or event and given that what could you do to make it more likely that you'll achieve it use a bit of imagination okay excellent and where is the best place for people to go, Judy, if they'd like to get more from you? Um, ReeseMcCann.com. So ReeseRWSMCCAN.com. And on there, you'll find my blog posts. You'll also, um, unless we move it, you'll find a, a place where you can get the web events that connect how to guide, which gives a fuller explanation of the recipe that we've just been talking about. Um, you can also get uh, my link letter. So, uh, I do a weekly link letter where people find out about uh, stuff about uh, online events, stuff about clean language, stuff about working remotely, um, and also a fair sp sprinkling of uh, psychology, magic, hypnosis, and a bunch of other interesting topics um, in that link letter. But all of that is on reesmccann.com. Fantastic. Oh, I'm also... I'm also really easy to find on uh, other, other social on social media. No, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm I'm around on LinkedIn <laughs> and so on. Yeah, and we'll 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 link to your site uh, in the the blog that goes along with this, and also in the um the podcast uh, description there. So if people need to find you, they can find you pretty easily that way as well. Um, earlier on, I asked you, true or false, is the blue whale the loudest animal in the world? And you said. I said true because the sound carries furthest. That is that is what you said. Unfortunately, it is false. We get this. The loudest animal in the world, believe it or not, is a two centimetre long prawn. It's called the pistol shrimp and it snaps its claw shut so fast 
it creates a bubble which creates a sonic blast louder than Concorde aircraft. <laughs> uh, not only that, but uh, the, it generates temperatures hotter than, well, almost as hot as the sun, and that's what kills its prey. So there you go. I mean, how wild is that? Congratulations to the prawn. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to mess with a pistol shrimp um, <laughs> should I ever run into one. <laughs> but uh, that was really good. I really enjoyed the conversation, Judy. Um, appreciate it. And um, and as you say, people can find you at reesmccann.com. Hey, it's Rob again. Want to build a successful online business from your expertise? Well, the game has changed. There are bigger opportunities, but also bigger pitfalls than ever before. And I would hate for you to waste years figuring these things out for yourself. Now, as a listener to this show, you're obviously a sensible person, right? So here's my invitation to you. Apply to jump on a call with me in the next few days and let's talk about you. You will get feedback on your ideas. You will get a product concept that is fit for right now and you will get a personalized sales and income plan to take away. That is free, but availability is limited. So please go along right now to chatwithrob.com. That is chatwithrob.com. Do that now. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Once again, that is chatwithrob.com. Talk to you soon.